Have you ever wondered what information is actually stored in your cell phone? How big tech companies know everything about you, and even worse, how child predators use it to find their next victim, which could be your child? Don't miss a second of this episode because it is absolutely going to blow your mind. This is the Shots Fired Podcast. I'm Mark Rutledge. To my left is Kyle Schoberg, and we are your hosts. Today in studio, we have Detective Seth Dexter that specializes in cell phone forensics, and he's going to share with us all the chilling things that's kept in your cell phone. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here with you guys. Well, we appreciate you coming in. Can you tell us about your career in law enforcement and what you're actually doing today? Sure. Uh, I've been a cop for 18 years now. I've worked everything from patrol. I spent six years working in the Probability Policing Unit. Uh, I was on the SWAT team for almost eight years. And with that, I am a chemical agent instructor. I am a master rappel instructor. Uh, and then six years ago, I uh, became a detective and I started working crimes against children. And that turned into uh, being placed on a regional task force where I work internet crimes against children. In that regional task force that you're on, it's, a, it's a, a, a large region within Northern California, right? Yes, it is. So uh, Seth, let's talk about your training and experience that you have that uniquely qualifies you to dive into the cell phone forensics because the average person who owns a cell phone has no idea about some of the shocking information that's actually stored in your phone. So what training do you have to be able to break that down? So I've gone through multiple courses. The, the training that you get with cell phone and computer forensics is, is pretty highly specialized. It's not really something uh, that is offered widespread in law enforcement right now. They're getting better about it, but a lot of the state training organizations uh, you know, don't um, officially like recognize this training as far as like your continuing education credits as a police officer. So uh, the California Department of Justice uh, puts on some really good courses. I've been through about six of their classes in everything from basic cell phone investigation to advanced cell phone forensics, computer forensics, uh, building your own computer forensic tower. Uh, I did that through DOJ. And then I got turned on to a um, school called the National Computer Forensics Institute uh, out in Hoover, Alabama, and that's operated by the United States Secret Service. So you can only get into that by invitation only. And I think that somebody made a clerical error somewhere because I got into it and they ended up um, inviting me out there. So I went out the first time for uh, f four weeks for a mobile device examiner course. Uh, I spent another five weeks uh, on another occasion going through computer forensics. And then I've been through an advanced computer um, and cell phone forensics course there and uh, my most recent course was uh, actually just a cell phone repair class so that we can repair uh, evidence phones and get evidence off it. So I'm curious, being a cop and then being a detective and then act, going to all these um, extra classes that you went to with the Secret Service and out, out in Alabama, was it shocking to you finding out some of the information that's actually stored in cell phones and how in-depth you can get with these invest investigations and what some of these child predators are doing just through a cell phone? Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the average user doesn't really understand how much they are tracked by various organizations. You know, everybody's super concerned about big government and super concerned about, uh, you know, law enforcement tracking their movements. Law enforcement has nothing on the big tech companies. Those guys will t like 
they will track your every movement. Um, and, and they do that to generate profits off of your movements and where you go and the places that you visit, the things that you do online. Uh, they are using that for their profits and they have way more tracking activity on the general user than what law enforcement could ever hope to have. So let's elaborate a little bit more on that. So talking about cell phones. So for me, I went out, I bought my cell phone from the store they handed it to me in order to get this thing to actually work, to be able to get my text messages, my apps on this thing. I basically did everything the phone told me to do. I just said, yes, yes, agree, accept this. I'll assume this, download this, this thing. This is what I want and accept it. And now I'm good to go. So for the average person that does this, what are some things in the phone, like tracking? What, what should be, what are we concerned about within a phone? Like what are the capabilities of the tracking in a phone? So phones are tracked in a variety of ways. Um, and, and keep in mind, there's forensic examiners out there that are probably have forgotten more about computer and phone forensics than what I've ever learned. So, um, so what I tell you is really just scratching the surface. Um, you're tracked by both um, your what's called an advertiser ID on your phone, uh, as well as by the cell phone company. So your cell signal itself is tracked by the cellular provider. They know exactly where you are on their network. So if you have Verizon, they know exactly where you're at. They know where your phone's at. Um, same with AT&T, any of the providers, they know exactly where you're at. Um, they triangulate your cell phone signal uh, and based on what tower it bounces off of, they can determine where you are physically standing within just a few meters. Uh, it, it's crazy how, how accurate the tracking is. Now, the other tracking that happens is where the money is really made. And that is through the advertiser ID on your phone. So every phone has a unique advertiser ID and it's unique to that phone alone. And what they do is they use that. And it's usually the long number or uh, number and letters uh, put together and um, they will track your shopping habits. They will track where you visit. They will track what you search on the internet. And they do that for a couple of reasons. One, they want the end user experience to be good. They want everything to be integrated, right? But the other reason they do that is they sell your movements to advertisers who will then customize what advertisements they send to your phone. So we all know that you go on and you conduct a, just a Google search for, um, you know, a, a new baseball bat. And what do you start seeing in your Facebook feed? advertisements for baseball bats. And, and you wonder, God, how do they know that? Well, it's because they're tracking you with that advertiser ID. So they know exactly what you're looking for and what you're looking at. You can be shopping in a major urban area and you can walk past a Macy's. That advertiser ID on your phone will beacon out and it's captured and they know, hey, this guy's walking past Macy's right now. Let's send him a customized Macy's ad. And suddenly you're on your phone reading an article on the news or you're looking at Facebook or Instagram and bam, an advertisement comes up for Macy's because you're walking right past it. They want the end user experience for you to look at your phone and go, wow, look at this stuff that's on Macy's right now. Crap, I'm in front of a Macy's right now. Maybe I'll go in and check it out. And they're drawing you in to spend money. There's huge money based on how you're being tracked. So with this, there's things in my phone that I have to accept and provide and give permission to my microphone, things like that. When I'm using this and I actually say that, and I'm sitting there having a conversation about my favorite type of chips that I eat and that stuff pops up, what else gets tracked through this phone? Can they actually hear you? Can they I know you said they can track you, but can they actually hear what, what we're saying? Uh, they can. And there are, um, there are methods like with, 
like with your Alexa device, if you have an Alexa device at home, right? The Echo Dot or the, um, you know, the, the speakers that you can plug in and it connects to your Amazon account. We, we all have those. I have some in my house. They're super convenient, right? Um, but for that application to work, uh, it's listening all the time. It's listening all the time. There's no off on it. So they've now put a feature on the device where you can turn off the microphone and you can turn off the camera. Some of them have cameras in it uh, by default. But if you want it to work and if you want to be able to walk into your room and say, Alexa, turn the lights on and have all the lights go on, you have to allow it that microphone uh, permission. But it's recording all the time. It's listening for your keywords. It's listening for you to say Alexa and then everything after that it really listens to. But it's 24-7 listening to you. And we have been able to actually solve crimes based on uh, going back and pulling all of that data um, that is uninterrupted recording in a room and being able to put together uh, evidence that we can get out of that. That is wild. So in my phone, even for parents out there that have young kids that they provide phones to them and they're always using sometimes attended or not paying attention to what their kids are doing on their phone, is there a way I can actually change the settings in my phone to say, no, I don't, I don't want to be tracked. I don't want them to listen to me. I don't want them knowing what I'm doing, concealing stuff. Is there a way to change the settings in my phone to actually do that? There are ways to do that. Uh, it's easier to do with an Android phone than it is with an Apple. Um, out here on the West Coast, Apple phones tend to be um, wildly popular. I mean, everybody's got an iPhone, right? Uh, the, the way they design their operating system, it's a little bit more difficult to turn that stuff off, but you can still do it. Uh, if you just go into Google and search, how do I turn off all of my location services uh, and my advertiser ID, you can do that. Uh, Android makes it a little bit easier, I feel like. Um, I have an Android phone, so I might be a little bit biased. Um, I did have Apple for a while, and then we got a divorce, and uh, now I have an Android. <laughs> so my family makes fun of me. I'm the only one with an Android. Um, but there's ways you can go in and you can disable that feature so that it's not always beaconing out. So let, so I have an Android and you happen to be have an Android. So mm-hmm. let's do it. Can we walk through the process? Yeah. And, and then especially parents who are listening to this, they should be doing this for their kids too, right? Yes. Uh, parents need to be even way more um, attentive to what their kids are doing. And we can go into that a little bit later with some of the applications that are out there. But uh, we do see predators that are hunting kids uh, through cell phone applications these days. So what kind of a phone do you have? Uh, what's the model? Do you run <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't. This is where Kyle always makes fun of me. Is it, a, uh, is it a Samsung? It is a Samsung. Okay, perfect. So you're going to go to your Samsung. Okay. And you're going to go to the settings. You know how to get to your settings? Come on, I do. Okay. All right, I'm there. You're going to go to settings and you're going to go to security and privacy. Okay. And if you scroll down, there should be a setting that says more security settings. Got it. If you scroll down on that. There should be. This is going to depend on the model and how old your phone is too, right? Yes, it will depend on the model of your phone. You can always, um, you can always search it on, you know, on Google. It'll tell you how to do it online if you need to find out uh, right. for your specific model phone. But yeah, depending on the, the software that's running on your phone, uh, it, it can be a little bit different. So you went into uh, more, more privacy settings. Yep. I'm in more securities. Um, let's see if you're in security and privacy and then, uh, I'm sorry, go back one and go into more privacy settings. More privacy. Oh, there it is. Okay. Got it. And then you scroll down, you see where it says ads. I do. Yep. So tap on ads. Okay. And 
if you scroll down, it shows you, you have a reset advertising ID. You can delete your advertising ID. And if you hit delete it, it will delete that off of your phone. And now you're not being tracked with your ads. All right, so I can actually hit this button, delete advertising ID, and I will no longer get ads to my cell phone? Well, through yes and no. <laughs> so that's not the only application that tracks on your phone. Uh, and in, in cell phone forensics, I always say, uh, never say never and never say always, because there's always exceptions to everything. So that is how um, uh, Google will, will track you oftentimes and other uh, third-party applications. Um, there are still some that can technically track you if you allow it to. Because when you go through and you set up your phone, what it always does is it gives you their like, um, their disclaimer at the bottom. You know how it says that? You just hit the accept button, right? You were just talking a minute ago about how you go to your phone, you set it up, and you just say yes, yes, accept, accept, right? Well, those are all user permission agreements that you're accepting. And so if you set up a new app on your phone and it goes through and says, hey, you need to accept our user settings and your privacy setting disclaimer, then you are basically telling that application it's okay for you to track me. So you really need to understand every single application that you're putting on your phone. And it's like such a huge task to do because there's thousands upon thousands of them, right? So um, for your phone though, however, that is one of the ways you can greatly reduce being tracked. Um, again, there are still other applications that can track and you just have to make sure that you go through each one of those. Now on Apple phones, you can't necessarily deny them all of those permissions. On an Android phone, you can uh, in, in a much easier manner, in my opinion. All right, well, I think, I think this is a great start for parents to start protecting their kids, even for me, because I don't want all of these ads and stuff constantly popping up my phone. So I already hit it. I'm going to go through that process. So this was really informative with all the stuff that, that we can do within their phone, within phones. And then obviously there's much more. So this is great. This is a good start. Okay. So the average kid nowadays, you know, has a smartphone. When we were kids, we probably did not have uh, smartphones because they didn't exist. And it seems like in today's day and age, six, seven, eight-year-olds have their own cell phones and smartphones. And I know parents out there think like, well, I have private settings for, you know, kid settings or they can only text message or do all these things. But we're seeing younger kids have access to some of these social media apps like Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, uh, you name it. And some of these kids know more about some of these apps that, quite frankly, parents don't even know about, yeah, yeah. Uh, which, is, which is scary. And so I want to talk about how predators online are actually tracking kids through applications. And even though there may be parent settings on the phone, there's still access to talk and communicate with these kids. And some of the cases that you've run into where this is happening. Yeah, I think that we're in a, um, with the technological revolution that we've seen, I mean, think about it. Since you and I have been alive, right? We went from pagers to suddenly devices that are actual computers in your hand. The devices that you and I carry right now are more powerful than the very first computers that we ended up having, right? I remember going through and playing the Oregon Trail yeah. remember that? with the, <laughs> yeah. with the green doesn't. screen. Yeah. That's right. That was like a big deal when I was in school. And I remember when uh, you know they, they taught us about Yahoo for the first time and we were like, what is that? Oh, it's a, it comes out of Stanford. And I mean, Yahoo's huge now. So with all of that technological advancement, um, you know, it's really hard to keep up, I think, for parents. Uh, now, you know, we have these cell phones in hand and, and kids have access to literally tens of thousands of applications. And it's almost impossible for a parent to know every single one of them. 
I do this kind of work full time and I don't even know every single application that's out there. So I think really number one, you have to, um, you know, obviously keep open communication with your kid about it. But two, you have to check in on what they're doing. And I'm sorry, but kids are not always honest with you about what they're looking at on their phones. You have to spot check their phones. You have to look. Uh, If your kid has a code on their phone that you don't know, that kid doesn't get the phone. That's how it works in my home. I know all your passwords to your phone so that I can go and I can spot check it. My children know that. Um, There's applications out there now that um, really where we see it uh, is um, through some of the chat features that are available on these applications and what they're doing is they're blending video games which man kids love to game these days right so they blend video games with these chatting applications and then you know kids begin engaging with other users and oftentimes um, there's no there's no uh, supervision or control by the uh, developers of those applications so I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, uh, many of my cases right now that I have uh, include Snapchat. Uh, Snapchat is uh, something that, you know, it's a third-party application and you can enter in messages to other people and you can set those messages to auto-delete. Well, why else would you be setting messages to auto-delete if it wasn't for something that was a bit shady, right? It's either to keep somebody from reading your messages uh, or to hide them. And the other thing about it is that you can send photographs. You can send, uh, I believe, short video clips through Snapchat now as well. Um, Other applications that you can do that are uh, obviously Instagram, um, Telegram, WhatsApp. These are all third-party applications where you can message uh, each other. Uh, There's... There's applications such as uh, Roblox. Well, Roblox is actually a video game, right? Kids love playing Roblox. Uh, very, very popular with the age groups of between about five and 12 years old. My kids play Roblox. Yeah, it's, it's something a lot of our kids are, are playing. I bet, do you know that that has an app or that has a feature that your children can chat with other users on Roblox? I did not know that. I they, think you can say your kid used to play Roblox now. <laughs> After today, used to, yeah. Dude, I'm telling you, my, yeah, we lock it down in our home. Um, but they can uh, they can start messaging other game players on Roblox. And how easy is it for, for a predator to come in and say, yeah, I'm 14 years old and uh, hey, I like how you play this game or hey, tell me about how you did this in the game and let's play together. And, and they begin engaging in, you know, communication with your minor. And, you know, our kids aren't like us. They're not, they're not cops. They don't walk around, you know, with that, um, suspicion. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this guy might be up to no good. They just think, Hey, it's another kid that wants to play a video game with me. And so they'll engage them in communication. And then many times it, it turns into other things. And sometimes the communication turns sexual in nature, or it'll turn into, Hey, send me some inappropriate images of yourself. And once that engagement occurs, um, you know, your, your kid starts going down a road where they start being, um, either groomed or exploited, uh, in a sexual manner. So, Let's just say this. Most parents are probably going to say, oh, my kid is smart enough to know not to do that. Or I've told them, hey, don't engage in a conversation with somebody that they don't know. What do you think the percentages of kids that tell their parents either they're not talking or communicating with anybody else on the phone um, via chat or the percentage of um, kids that or parents that just have no idea and that these kids are actually being victimized by some of these predators on a game such as Roblox? Do you think the percentage is a lot higher than normal people would think? I think it is. Um, And, you know, kids, what's usually their number one motivation? They don't want to get in trouble. Like they know that they're doing something that 
they probably ought not to do, and, and they'll lie because they don't want to get in trouble. Now, I keep pretty good communication with my children, and I'll be the first to tell you, I think they're pretty honest kids, but my kids will still lie to me sometimes yeah. if they don't want to get in trouble. That's kind of human nature, and we need to recognize that and realize that you know, uh, by, by us just assuming they're telling the truth, uh, they could be going down a path, and I've worked cases where um, I would say almost every case that I've had where there's been a child that's been sexually exploited online either or through one of these third-party applications, almost every occasion the parent was clueless and had no idea. And they would tell me, I never thought it would happen with my kid. My kid tells me everything. Well, they don't because either they don't want to get in trouble or they send an inappropriate image to a predator and then that predator responds with, if you tell anybody, if you don't send me more of these images... I'm going to tell your parents what you've been doing, you know, and then there's that fear of getting in trouble again, or I'm going to take these images and I'm going to send them out to your parents on their Facebook uh, uh, messengers. I'm going to send it to your friends on Instagram and, uh, and they'll get these kids to keep producing sexualized content for them. And, and now you've got a kid that's, you know, being commercially sexually exploited and, uh, and they can't do anything. You know, they're too afraid to say something about it. And mom and dad have no idea just because there's not a person physically in the home molesting a kid doesn't mean that they're not being exploited by somebody sexually. And so people have to remember that. So the average person probably also thinks that these types of things are happening to kids probably within the age range of, I would guess 10 to 16, 15, 16 years old we were talking offline about some of the cases that you've worked and you're seeing kids as young as six, five, six, seven years old. Yes, I have. I've seen kids um, extremely young that are being exploited online. And, you know, oftentimes they don't even realize that it's happening. You know, when you're a child, you don't understand exactly what, in, you know, what being sexually exploited entails. And I always tell people, uh, you know, if you have a child that's raised a certain way and they do the same thing every day and all the time, uh, that's just normal for them. It's right. Normal activity. And so once that initial shock wears off, if you know, somebody asks a kid for a, a nude image or something that's sexually explicit, once that's no longer shocking to that kid, it kind of gets normalized a little bit. And then they don't think it's that big of a deal. And oftentimes they don't even know it's wrong. And so, you know, I always tell parents, be aware of what your child is doing on their phone. Make sure you have parental restrictions set up. Uh, make sure you are checking in and seeing and make sure that you educate your kids on, you know, what they should and shouldn't be doing online or on a, a cell phone. You know, when, when my kid gets a cell phone, first thing we did was we sat down and we told them what you could do and what you can't do, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And, you know, you can't just give a kid you, know, you wouldn't give your child a set of keys to a motorcycle and say, have at it, right? You, you teach them how to be safe yeah. about it. You teach them how to be um, smart in what they do, right? So same thing with a phone. There's just as much risk of a kid getting injured in a different way with a phone as there is, you know, giving them a set of, you know, uh, motorcycle keys, right? So, um, and, and oftentimes the, the consequences of them being sexually exploited online will never go away because once there's an image online circulating, it doesn't go away. It's always there on the internet and it's always going to be floating around somewhere. And so that kid could be sexually exploited when they're 10 years old and it could traumatize them. And then when they're 20, maybe they come across their own image online from when they were 10 and they're, you know, uh, traumatized all over again. So, um, it can be really a dangerous thing, you know, and I'm not saying that cell phones are evil in and of themselves. They don't have an inherent evilness to them, 
but the capabilities of them, we just have to be smart and teach our kids to do the right thing with them. So let's talk numbers. How many, we work in an area um, up here in Northern California, right? In a large region, just in this region alone, how many cases are you guys seeing through your division of what you guys are doing? Is it in the hundreds? Is it, is it a, you know, kind of a lower condensed number? Is it in the thousands? So countywide, uh, these types of cases, and we can go into it a little bit further. They're, they're called uh, ICAC cases or Internet Crimes Against Children. Uh, just in our county, uh, last year alone, we had 13, almost 14,000 uh, tips that came in or you wow. know, cases that were reported to us. Um, hold, hold on. So just reported to you guys in our, just our county alone here in Northern California, you guys had 14,000 uh, tips and cases that came to you guys? Yes. And then in the, in the city that I work, and I'm the only one working these cases for the city that I'm in, um, I had 80 uh, just in my city alone. And I'm one guy working them. And each case takes a long time to investigate. Like there, there's a lot of red tape for us to get the data that we need to hold these account offenders accountable. And so um, 80 is just overwhelming. Like I'm buried constantly. <laughs> That is insane. That is a much higher number than I thought. You know, we're not exposed to the things that you guys are exposed to, you know, uh, even being an active police officer. Like we don't see those cases coming to us because they specifically go to you guys. You're, you're specially trained. So I have a question and that is, um, what are some of the warning signs and what are some of the things that parents can look for, uh, so that their kids don't become victims of being exploited? So I think just knowing the applications that your kid put on puts on their phone and you can set up the phone so that it has to ask the parent permission before the kid, the child can put uh, that application on there. Um, we have our children's phone set up that way. So they'll come up and be like, hey, dad, I want to get this application. Um, or if they try and install it, it'll automatically give me an alert that says they're trying to install an application and I can hit the yes or the no button on the phone. Um, so I always recommend that. Um, you know, you don't even need to be super familiar with every app out there, but the one your kid wants to put on their phone, check into it. Just Google it, right? And and see what it's about and what the capabilities are. Um, so that's one of the ways I think you can do it. Uh, the other way is, um, is again, just educating your child uh, to do the right thing, uh, keep that communication open. Um, is there any app out there that you know of that specifically you can tell everybody watching or listening right now absolutely do not install this for your kid? Yeah, there are probably several apps that I would say not to put on your the phone for a kid. Um, I, I jotted down just off the top of my head before I got here, some of the ones that, that I would be very um, cognizant of before getting it on my kid's phone. Um, obviously, Snapchat is one of them. Uh, you know, your kid doesn't need the ability to delete or auto delete their messages. They don't. Why? Because you can text message each other, right? They don't need a messaging application. Uh, another scary thing with Snapchat is that you can just open yourself up and meaning you can, um, allow other people to see your location, like complete strangers. So Snapchat will pull up a map and you can say, Hey, I want to be visible to everyone within a five mile radius. And there could be a person one street over and bam, you show up on their phone and they can start messaging you on Snapchat. So that is scary. It's Whoa. super scary. Um, Snapchat is just one of those. Uh, you know, Instagram has features where you can send private messages. Um, Discord. Discord is a like a chat 
service. Uh, you can send photographs and, and video clips, and it just widely centers around gamers, right? Kids that love to play video games. My kids love video games. And I remember the day that my son came to me and said, Dad, I'm going to put Discord on my phone. I'm like, no, you are not. And he's like, well, I don't understand why. And I, we had to have a conversation about it. Well, this is why, because kids are being exploited. Now, um, you know, I, I want to believe that my kid's going to do the right thing. But, you know, it's like an insurance policy. You don't buy insurance and then expect, you know, just I'm going to go out and wreck my car right now. Yeah. No, you get insurance <laughs> so that you, if it happens and you're hoping it doesn't happen, but if it does, you're covered. Uh, well, it's a super cheap insurance policy. Does not let my kid put discord on their phone and chat with strangers online. So, um, I think there's, there's several others out there. Uh, obviously TikTok is, is a big one right now. It's probably one of the most popular applications that's out there. Uh, they have, there's tons of sexual content that you can get on TikTok just by searching it. And that's the deal. You can't like, you don't know what your kid's going to search or not search. Maybe your kid goes to school one day and some little foul mouth friend of his, you know, says something that's sexualized or tells him about something they saw on TV and then he wants to search it and they, he can search it on TikTok and now he's got all this sexualized content, you know, Pornography is super easy to see uh, or to, to find on the internet these days. There's tons and tons of it. And so our kids are, are you know, they're, they could be targets of this stuff. Um, and especially if you have a child predator that's out there who's really looking to groom a kid online, uh, they're going to do everything they can. You got to remember that it's not just that they're going to, they happen to come across a kid in the chat room. These individuals are seeking out and targeting children, and that's their entire drive. It's their entire purpose is to get a kid on the hook so they can sexually exploit them or even meet up with them outside of uh, you know, that application. So I think what it boils down to is parents need to be extremely cautious about if they are going to allow their kid to have a phone, what exactly is on that phone, setting parental settings on there, checking in to see who they're talking to, what apps they're using, and just be utterly cautious about what exactly their kids are doing with their phones. And, and look, I'm going to be guilty or I'm guilty of this is sometimes, you know, you go to a restaurant or you just want your kid to, you know, not be loud and, you know, not bug you. Essentially, you're handing them your phone or whatever. Like your kid has access to everything that's in your phone, which has no parental guidance on it. So, I guess, it, it, like I said, it boils down to um, some of this stuff is actually really shocking for me to hear. And I think parents out there need to be very, very, very weary about giving your kids smartphones and what they have access to. Yeah, I, I agree. They do. Um, you know, we, we handle these cases um, time and time again where it would have been so easy to avoid, you know, uh, so easy to avoid a kid being sexually exploited just by not letting them put an application on their phone or by, you know, spot checking it um, periodically. And my kids know that I'm going to spot check your phone. Um, if I catch uh, my kid uh, and I spot check the phone and I look at it and all his internet history is deleted. Well, that's a freaking red flag, right? Yeah. Like who deletes their internet history? Why are you deleting something if it's okay for everybody to see, right? You are trying to hide something from me. And my kids know, you start, if I start seeing deleted internet history, your phone's gone, like you're gonna lose it. It's a privilege to have the phone and you have to be responsible with it. And, and so that's what I always push out to them. Um, they, they have no clue the number of cases that we take that end in absolute tragedy. And a kid being sexually exploited in some manner, like, that's not like, an, you know, 
that's something that will carry them for decades. Like it can cause some pretty deep seated trauma. We've seen kids commit suicide because they were commercially exploited uh, or sexually exploited online uh, in some manner. So uh, it is a big danger. It is a big red flag and we do have to be aware of it. Seth, I want to ask you about cyber tips. So I know you work uh, the regional ICAC internet crimes against children's task force. How are you actually getting these cyber tips? Where are they coming from? How do people provide you tips and what do you do with those tips? So the, uh, the ICAC task force was something that I kind of really just stumbled into. Um, I didn't know what they entailed, really. We were getting these cyber tips in our uh, investigations unit and had been investigating crimes against children for probably two or three years. And, uh, and we're talking hands-on types of crimes. And my sergeant told me, hey, we get these things called cyber tips. Can you look into them? And so, sure, I'll do that. I mean... I'm happy to help. Right. And, uh, so I, I said, well, how do I, how do I even like look at these things? And they were like, Oh, we don't, we don't really know because <laughs> just no one's really working on them right now. Um, but you know, you can get a hold of someone from the, the sheriff's department and they'll, you know, they're kind of the regional hub and, and they can probably uh, help you. So I did, I contacted, um, a deputy over there, uh, and he came over and super good dude spent probably three or four hours with me one morning and taught me all about cyber tips. Well, I didn't realize what they actually were. Um, it's, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, it was child pornography. Um, and, and well, I'll call them, uh, CSAM because it's, uh, a little bit, um, it's a little bit better of a way to describe those types of videos and pictures. Um, CSAM stands for child sexual abuse material. And basically it's, any child under the age of 18 engaged in the sex act is what that is, okay? Uh, horrible to hear, um, even more horrible to see. But I started to um, look into these cases after this deputy trained me. Uh, so what happens is every, every electronic service provider out there in the United States is federally mandated to report CSAM. Like, it's required under federal law. So Google, uh, Instagram... Facebook, which is under Meta now, um, you know, uh, Microsoft, all of these organizations, Apple, if they come across CSAM, they're required to report it. Well, the way they do that is they report it to the National Center for uh, Missing and Exploited Children. They're the clearinghouse for cyber tips. So the service provider will will f- come across it uh, on their servers. They report it to uh, what we call NICMIC, National Center for Exploited and Missing Children or I'm sorry, missing and exploited children. So I'm not good with acronyms all the time. Um, and uh, they'll then take that. They'll take the media that's provided and usually in the form of videos or pictures, they will um, assemble it together into this uh, report. And then they will determine which geographic location in the United States it lands in. If it lands in uh, my county's area, they will kick it over to my county's task force. They will look at it and determine which city within that jurisdiction it falls in. And if it falls in my city, they will assign it to me. So uh, last year alone, well, so in 2022, nationwide, we had 31,700,000 cyber tips across the United States. Oh, my God. That is insane. Every single one of those is a CSAM case. Um, now, that's almost 32 million in 2022. Last year, we went up to 36 million. 
4 million more cyber tips over the course of one year uh, that we went up. So you see that it's snowballing, like it's, it's turning into this massive thing. So the cyber tip will come over, it'll get assigned to me, I'll open it up. First thing I do is I look at the material that the, they provide me, the videos or the photographs, and I determine, is this a good violation? And once I look at them, yep, this is absolutely CSAM. These are children under the age of 18. Oftentimes, um, you know, at the age of five, six, seven, involved in these acts, um, I'll look at it. Uh, I'll determine who the electronic service provider is. I'll write a search warrant to them. And uh, sometimes there's a phone number involved in the cyber tip. So I, I'll write a search warrant to the phone company and, um, you know, requesting the data for this user who is posting this stuff um, on the internet or trading messages with somebody within these applications. Once they respond to my search warrant, they provide me all that data that I asked for. I take it, uh, I go through it all. I determine how much uh, CSAM is there. And then through some other techniques, I'll dial it down to a location, like a residential address. And now that I have a residential address, that's my target. Um, and oftentimes I'll have an individual identified by that time. But once I get that residential target, I write yet another search warrant because that's what we do in California. We write mm -hmm. a bazillion search warrants for every case. And uh, that residential search warrant allows me to go and force the door open and take the electronics of that individual. Um, we interview them and then an arrest will usually follow for possession of CSAM. So the tips that you get are massive from these basically corporations and companies and apps and stuff. And then it filters through, through your investigation, through the process that you take, writing search warrants, filtering down all the way to the point when you make an arrest. What should parents be looking for, if not looking for, but if they suspect something, what should they be doing? Uh, if they're suspecting that something weird is going on with their kid, obviously, number one, check, check their phone, see what they're doing. Uh, if they do come across content where uh, they see that their child has been either trading messages with somebody or they find this content on their kid's phone, uh, they need to report it to the local law enforcement organization. They can also report it to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at, on their cyber tip line. They can call it in, speak to an analyst over there who will take the report and then they will forward it on to the local uh, law enforcement jurisdiction. Um, so, and I'll tell you what, right now, um, people talk about that. We have what's called known CSAM and then unknown CSAM. Known CSAM is stuff that's been circulating the internet for years, right? This is, this is something that maybe it happened in 1995. And like I said, it never goes away, right? So it gets on the internet and it's constantly circulating and people, these perverts will trade this uh, material with each other online. So there's known CSAM. Then there's unknown CSAM. We're talking freshly produced content. And people think, well, my kid would never be involved in something like that. I would estimate just in my caseload, and again, I'm only speaking my personal experience here from what I see on my cases, probably about 65% of the content that I come across is self-produced content from kids. Kids that are producing this content at the direction of somebody online who is manipulating them and directing them in what to do. And they're producing content and giving it to this person online. So, um, so if a, a parent comes across stuff like that, they need to report it uh, because there's somebody that lives somewhere else that's exploiting their child.
Yeah, and they might be exploiting others. So I guess there's a lot to take away from that. But most importantly, if you suspect it and you're a parent and you suspect that your your kid is being exploited or you find that stuff in your phone, you need to contact law enforcement. Absolutely, yeah. And and snatch that phone from that kid. <laughs> Don't let them have it. Keep it. It's evidence. Um, you know, we need to take it and we need to be able to track that person down. Um, you know, there are multiple cases I've had that, uh, you know, have had self-produced content. And it's uh, like it it's gut-wrenching when you see how it impacts these families. And you said, you mentioned, we talked about it earlier, the age, like what are the ages of these kids that are actually creating their own material? You know, pictures are one thing, but when you're actually filming yourself and you're creating your own content uh, and recording yourself and actually then sending that to somebody, what are the ages are you guys seeing for that? I've seen it as young as five years old. That is, that is insane to me. I have a six-year-old son and it's mind boggling to me to think that a six or even a five-year-old would even know how to record themselves and then send that information to over to somebody. So, I mean, for you to even say that, like, honestly, it's, it's, it's disgusting and it's mind boggling to me. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you about a, a more recent, um, not a more recent case, but a, a trend that we were seeing, um, that thankfully is now no longer a thing. There was a, um, a third-party application or a website called Omegle that was out there. We have tons of cases that involve Omegle. Now, what Omegle is, is it's a video chat service that you can go on and chat anonymously. They don't require you to register. They don't require you to put in any information. You can just do anonymous chatting, video chatting online. Well, there were these, these kids would go to this, these Omegle sites, and they would look at it, and there would be like, uh, a list and it would say, Hey, the highest score today has been a thousand points. See if you can get higher than a thousand points. And it will be like, take your shirt off 100 points. Oh my you know, God. Do X, Y, and Z 50 points. And just think about the most horrible you, thing you can think of a kid doing, uh, in a sexual manner, uh, and being filmed. And it was listed on that list. And so you have these kids, I don't know any better. You know, you got a five-year-old who wants to get the high score of the day, right? And they are going through the list and doing these things. And, and I'm watching content, seeing a kid looking at their phone, reading it, squinting, reading what the next thing is, and then standing up and doing that thing. And then going in, looking again, squinting down, like, okay, what am I supposed to do next? Oh, now it wants me to take my pants off. And then they would do that. And like these kids have no clue. They're trying to get the high score. They don't know. And you have a five-year-old just wants to get the high score and win for the day. And you know, something as simple as that is what are, is the manipulation that's taking place. Now, Omegle shut down uh, this last year um, for good because a woman filed a lawsuit against them saying, hey, I was sexually exploited from the time she was 11 years old is when it started with her. And she reached a settlement with them. And part of that settlement was to um, completely take down the website. And so that's what they did. So Omegle's no longer a thing, but I'm telling you, I still get cases, tons and tons of comment content, hundreds of videos I still see that has the Omegle um, uh, little like logo, insignia, or logo yeah. yeah, down at the bottom. Oh my God. What about going after the people that actually produce these apps and that are controlling the apps? I mean, is that something that you guys can go after them? So far, no, because they will put on there those disclaimers that says, you know, hey, this is any anything that violates our terms of service is something that we are not going to be held responsible for. And we don't want you to violate our terms of service. We don't want these things happening. And they'll say, hey, if we find you doing it, we're going to ban your account and delete the content. But now some of these providers are coming out with ways to um, completely encrypt the material and 
like they wouldn't even know that it was happening, you know? So in other words, um, Instagram and Facebook is, is the big one, the most recent one that's been in the news. They recently went to user-to-user encryption. So what that means is if you were to send me a message in Facebook Messenger and say it was CSAM content, well, they would be able to detect it. They, they could scan it, and they don't have a live person looking at all. They just have an algorithm that's scanning, and they can go, oh, that guy just sent that other dude, or this user sent that user some CSAM, and they flag it, and they report it to, to Nick Mick. Now they've gone to user-to-user encryption, which means any messages you would send me, they don't see it from the outside. It's a tunneled connection that only you and I can see. And so they're able to, um, they're not able to see that content, so therefore they're not able to report it. And they've basically created a completely secure means of communication for people who want to trade CSAM content or you know, terrorist cells, you name it, whoever wants to use their service for completely encrypted content. And like, I get where they're coming from with personal privacy. Do I believe in personal privacy? Yes. That's always what they say is, well, we believe that personal privacy is the most important thing, but not at the cost of our children, not at the cost of these child victims. They're not the ones that are having to look at this content and review these cases. I guarantee you, if some of those executives would see the material that we're seeing, I feel like it would change um, their, their outlook on it. Um, but, you know, uh, law enforcement tried to be a voice of reason and talked about, uh, you know, went to these congressional meetings and uh, at the state level and talked about how it, it shouldn't happen because these people are going to get away with, uh, you know, sexually exploiting children and it, it fell on deaf ears. And so they've completely moved over uh, a lot of these platforms now to user to user encryption. And um, it, it's unfortunate that we're seeing that. Uh, but, you know, they're valuing profits over the protection of our children. Uh, so, okay, so let's talk big tech companies. How are they helping and how are they hindering some of these investigations? So I think. I think by and large, a lot of the companies, um, you know, they, they want to do the right thing and they see that if their um, services are being misused, they do report it to Nick Mick and we get the cyber tips. Um, oftentimes what will happen is we'll write a search warrant to that organization and then they send us that data that we need in order to track these offenders down. So what I learned in, when I first started doing these is that um, some companies are really good about getting you the material that you need, the data that you need to track them down, and others just don't seem to give a crap. They don't seem to care um, you know, about getting it to you in a timely manner. Uh, so uh, just out of my own experience, again, this is only my experience, um, some of the companies I've had pro- you know, the most uh, problems with has been uh, Microsoft. Microsoft when I provide them a search warrant and I need data to track an offender down, they take months to get back to me. Now, under California law, they technically have five business days to respond to a search warrant, okay? But they've taken months before. And oftentimes, it'll be several months until I finally send them an email or a letter saying, hey, you were actually in violation. This is a court order. You're now in violation of the court order unless you guys want to show up in court and defend why you believe you shouldn't have to send me this data, you need to get it to me. And usually when I do that, they'll suddenly get the data to me within the next day or so. Um, we see that happen with, with many of the providers and I get it. Like, like Google, they must get thousands and thousands of subpoenas or search warrants a day. I'm sure they do. Look how huge they are. Right. Mm -hmm. So 
I take that into consideration. If they don't get it to me within five days, I don't freak out about it. Like I get it. They're busy. Um, if it's an exigent thing and I need something now and I contact them, they're usually really good about getting it to me. So I'll give them a few weeks to get the information to me, but waiting five months is just, it's not, it's inexcusable. You know, you, you need to respond to the court order. These are live offenders that are exploiting children that we're trying to track down. And sometimes they're in the midst of abusing a child and we're trying to track them down, right? So that kid is getting drawn out in their abuse. Um, I'd say the best company so far that I've worked with has been uh, Twitter, uh, now known as Xcore. Those guys are freaking phenomenal. When somebody moves CSAM across their servers and they detect it, they don't even require a search warrant from me. They go, hey, this is CSAM. These are children being sexually exploited. We're giving you all this data right now. So they, they provide it to me right at the very wow. beginning. No paper needed. Um, Good on them. Oh, phenomenal. Yeah. You would think that all these big tech companies or industries or ap- applications would offer that stuff up. But so I guess <clears throat> I understand the process of having to get a, get a search warrant, but it just seems like they would want to give you the information to stop this kind of stuff from happening. So I guess a part of you makes you wonder like, you know, why do they make it so difficult and why are they not responsive to disgusting material like that on the internet when you're trying to put these people in jail? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, I wish I had the answers to that. Um, I, I would love to talk to some of these executives and ask them, why would you not make it easier? If there's one thing we should all freaking agree on, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or, you know, whatever walk of life you come from, exploiting a child sexually is wrong. We should all be able to pull together and go, hey, this is a violation of our user agreement. If you're caught with CSAM, we're going to just give it to the cops because we're not going to tolerate that stuff. Yeah. But they don't do that. And and some of the companies will, you know, we have to give non-disclosure orders to them for them not to report the fact that we're investigating one of their users. And you know, otherwise, if you don't give that, they're going to let the, hey, the cops are on to you. They're looking. And what's that person doing if they find that out? Well, they're getting rid of evidence, right? So oh, That is wild to me. Yeah. I would think that they would want to help. Um, so, you know, obviously, I'm not a big tech guy. I just see it from the enforcement end. And uh, our, our country, our state has such a long way to go to protect these kids. Wow. Well, so... Once you guys wrap up these investigations, what kind of time are these, some of these suspects looking at for that type of material? So it depends on multiple factors. Um, on a first time, and this is going to make you sick, so <laughs> bear with me here. On a first time offense where somebody's caught with child uh, sexual abuse material and, um, and they don't have any priors, uh, usually we're talking a slap on the wrist. They may do a little bit of jail time and then uh, three years probation often. And then usually they become a 290 registrant. 290 PC of the penal code is uh, the requirement to register as a sex offender for the rest of your life. So they become registered sex offender, three years probation, and maybe some county jail time on a first offense. Wow. I would expect it to be a lot more than that, even if it is a first time offense. Yeah. So then how are these folks getting a lot of prison time for this stuff? Does it have to be a major case? I mean, what if it is a first time offense, but it's a big case? So typically if, um, if they have priors, like if they have a, and there's a certain uh, list of prior violations, if they have one of those prior, prior violations, whether it be you know, indecent exposure or some sort of a sexually related crime or any other type of qualifying felony, then they can do a, a more time on a, on a possession of CSAM case. Uh, 
if they have there's some, there's some aggregating aggravating factors as well. So typical just straight out possession of CSAM is believe it or not, it's only a misdemeanor in the state of California. Wow. Um, if it's uh, if it includes bondage or torture. Um, or abuse of a toddler or infant, then that's an aggravating factor and it could be charged as a felony. But oftentimes they'll settle it out as a misdemeanor, you know, as a plea bargain. Uh, Now, who really has the big teeth, uh, believe it or not, is the federal government. And on our task force, we have um, special agents from the FBI as well as Homeland Security. And several of of my partners are cross-designated to be federal agents as well, so they can take cases and file them uh, federally. Now, the feds will hammer people for possession of CSAM. Like, I want to say, don't quote me on this, but I want to say like a first-time offense is like five to seven years um, in federal prison. Like, they have a big hammer. So Good. Yeah, so it really helps. So so sometimes if the if the circumstances are right in the case, the feds will take it and, and they'll prosecute it federally instead. We always love when the feds do that because they get so much more time uh, than what you get at the state level. Yeah, well, that's at least good to hear because that's pretty disappointing that that's how California is treating the, the, some of these cases. So I think the big question is, is, everyone that's listening to this is, you've mentioned many times that you have to observe this material and you have kids yourself. So how do you process this and deal with it? So I would say uh, there's a lot of compartmentalizing that happens. Um, you know, here's the deal. One, I'm, I'm a person of faith. Uh, my faith helps me immensely. Uh, I don't go around, you know, preaching from the hilltops, but my faith is a very deep part of my life and it's deep seated within my family. And it really helps me to see, you know, the, the big picture of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I really feel like there's a reason where I'm at in investigating these types of cases. But the other part of it is, you know, I go home, you're right, I have family, I go home to a family full of life, full of energy, uh, full of innocence, and uh, that helps. Um, But I think, you know, everything we do, we count the cost associated with it, right? Before you buy a car, you're going to count the cost for that car before you go out and you purchase it. Well, when you count the cost for these types of cases, if I have to go into hell to pull a kid out of hell that's been sitting there for the last six or seven years on a hands-on case, it's worth it to me. Am I going to get burned a little bit? Yeah, I'm going to get burned a little bit. But isn't the end result better, right? You, you save a kid's life. And in my opinion, in the entire 18 years I've been a cop, there's nothing more rewarding uh, that I've ever done um, as when I started doing these types of cases. Especially when you get a live case and you get to really pull a kid out of a home who's being sexually abused. There's nothing better than rescuing a kid. So that's really what keeps me going. Well, cops have a really hard job you see things that most of the general public don't see and you should not see. And honestly, what you're doing, you see that no one should see. Now, I don't even want to imagine some of the stuff that you've seen. Thank you for what you do. You do an amazing job and you're doing it to help kids. I think the major takeaway from this is that you're sacrificing pieces of yourself continuously to help these kids. I'd like to think that in the future that big tech companies will really come together to really help and just give you the information to really try to end this. It seems in the, as you said, it's growing with the numbers of tips that are coming through. Also the main takeaway, I think parents need to be really involved with their kids. Like you said, really pay attention to their phones and their apps. What are they doing on it? Or are they deleting histories? Do they want these specific things? Generally, thank you for coming in and talking about this. This is a subject that people don't talk about and we know it's happening. So thank you for sharing. 
Yeah, thank you for coming in. So, ladies and gentlemen, Seth Dexter. Thank you. I appreciate you guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for bringing a spotlight to this. It's really important. Thank yeah. You. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you again. All right. We'll see you guys on the next one. Later.